Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you will speak into our lives here in 2020. Open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say in this passage to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. There are only two miracles that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. One of those, of course, is the resurrection the greatest miracle that has ever happened. The reason that we do this, without the resurrection happening, we'd just be wasting our time. But the other miracle, the other one that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all decided to record when they were reflecting on Jesus's life is the one that we have in front of us today, the feeding of the 5,000. What I want to do is I want to look at this passage and I want to ask, what, what reasons might Mark have that the others also had to want to make a record of this? Mark, it's reckoned, was very close to Peter, the apostle, and that this gospel was, as it were, dictated to him by Peter with his own recollections of what happened. So here's my three reasons that I suggest that are really significant. The first one is a theological point. We see in this passage the Old Testament and the New Testament coming together and pointing towards who Jesus is. Do you remember back in the Old Testament in Exodus? The people of Israel were, were wandering around, they were moaning about the food. It would have been much better if we were still in Egypt. And God in his kindness and his grace and his mercy and his love heard that cry, and so he provided them with bread. It was called manna. Every morning when they got up and they went out, as the dew had settled, it turned into this manna, this bread-like substance. 
It was God's miraculous way of feeding his people. Here we have thousands of people in this countryside being fed miraculously by Jesus. Even the way that they are put into administrative groups here in hundreds and fifties, that reflects back on what was going on in Moses' time as well. It's a hint here towards that same idea. But most importantly, verse 41, it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave it to his disciples. This is almost certainly the prayer that Jews would have always said, very short prayer, just before having a meal. It's recorded in the Gospels, it's recorded in this story, but we find it again, almost word for word, when Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples. As he breaks the bread, as he prays and gives thanks, the night before his crucifixion, the disciples... The gospel writers, as they write about this story, they're making a connection here between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus at that Passover feast, that last supper. In fact, in John's account, he always even makes reference in his account of the feeding of the 5,000 to a Passover feast. You see, Jesus, as portrayed in this passage, is not just some prophet. He's not just some miracle worker. They'd had prophets before in the Old Testament. They'd had miracle workers. No, what Mark is trying to get across here, what all the gospel writers are trying to get across with this story, is that Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He's the one who came as the Messiah to change people's lives. That's the theological point I want to take us, I want us to take to start with. The second one is a discipleship point. Let's get into the context now of what's, what's going on in this particular story. Earlier on in this chapter, Jesus had sent out the disciples. He says he sent them out two by two. And they went out, having seen Jesus doing the miracles and heard the teaching, they went out and did the same stuff. We're told that they preached a message of repentance. We're told that they cast out demons. We're told that that they healed the sick. That's all been going on. And then we pick it up here at the start of this passage in verse 30, where the apostles gather around Jesus and report all the things that have been going on. Imagine how excited they would have been about it. We've we've been out there doing the stuff that you told us to do. And you, you know what? It works. And the people have been listening. They'd have come back excited, but it appears they're also very tired. Because Jesus welcomes them, listens to their stories and said, look, let's go and have a rest. Let's get in the boat. Let's go off to a solitary place. Jesus often did that with his disciples. Took them off on the boat for a place of rest. But of course, we know what happens. They get across the other side and all the people are there. This time, not just one or two, but thousands of them have come from the local towns. Thousands of them there. Why? Well, because... Jesus is in town. Jesus is now on the hillside. We, 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 want, we want more teaching. We want more miracles. We can't get enough of this guy. And how does Jesus respond in verse 34? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
I just touched my heart there. We think of compassion as, as being in our hearts. We talk about having a compassionate heart. In the language of the day, it was much more a, a, a word that was down here in the stomach. It was guttural, the word that's used here. Quite literally, it says, for compassion, Jesus has a, a gut reaction. That's a very deep feeling. References it quite a lot about Jesus. Jesus has compassion. Jesus has gut, a gut reaction. And whenever Jesus has a gut reaction, it moves him into action. You see, a gut reaction isn't just, you can't walk away from that. It moves you. So with Jesus, it's a gut reaction that leads him to do the teaching to these people because they're sheep without a shepherd. That suggests that their leadership wasn't very good. They didn't know where to turn, but there was something different about Jesus. And he saw with compassionate eyes and thought, I've got to teach them. I've got to help these people. In Matthew's account of this passage, it says out of compassion, he then healed the sick. Jesus always, with his gut reaction, moves into action. The disciples, with all their tiredness, with their wanting a rest, with Jesus being tired as well, they see that here is Jesus still moving with compassion for the people. And notice this too. So here's a question. When does the miracle actually happen? Jesus prays this prayer, this traditional short Jewish prayer. But is it at that point that suddenly, out of nowhere, all this bread that's just five loaves and two fish suddenly turns into enough to feed 5,000? Is there then sort of, as if there were tables there, tables full of the stuff, hundreds and hundreds of loaves everywhere and fish everywhere? Is that what's gone on? It doesn't seem to be that, does it? In each of the accounts, that doesn't seem to be when it happens. After praying, giving thanks, breaking the loaves, he gives them to his disciples, who then distribute to the people. I suggest it's as the disciples, of course, empowered by Jesus, of course, because of his prayer. But nevertheless, it's as they step out in faith, moved by compassion, totally depending upon him. That's when the miracle takes place. That must have been so exciting for Peter to tell Mark. You can imagine the apostles chatting about it afterwards. Do you remember? We had this bread in the house. I only had like a third of a loaf. And as I gave it out, it was feeding more and more and more. It was just, I, I didn't know what was going on. The disciples are involved with Jesus. They become, so to speak, the hands and feet of Jesus in performing this miracle. Back at the start of this incredible period that we're in of history at the moment, back in March, before we entered or as we were entering into lockdown, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, said these words. As he unveiled the financial and economic package, I was struck by this. He said this, now more than at any time in our history, we will be judged by our capacity for compassion. Our ability to come through this won't just be down to what government or businesses do, but by the individual acts of kindness that we show each other. We will be judged 
by our capacity for compassion. Haven't we seen over the last few weeks such incredible compassion, such acts of kindness, such gut reaction that's caused NHS nurses and doctors to come out of retirement. Why? Because they feel it here. They've got to go and help people. We've seen those acts of compassion. We've seen them perhaps locally in our street. Maybe it's been a knock on the door or a WhatsApp message. I know you've been in on your own. Can I go and buy you some food or whatever it is? We've seen how many volunteers have come together to go out and to reach into people's lives and help them. Those who are in isolation. Loads and loads of acts of compassion. It's been fantastic. But church, as we look ahead now, we need even more compassion, I suggest. Our capacity can't end here, but it's got to grow. We need more compassion to step out in in faith for the weeks and the months and the years that are ahead. Of course, we've got our own issues, haven't we? You know, we are concerned. We've got our own things that are going on in our heads. We don't know where our jobs are going to be or our food. We may be tired. We may be grieving because we've lost a loved one. It's fascinating that in this passage, immediately before this, and Matthew draws more attention to this, but it's here as well if you look back in Mark. Jesus has just heard about the death of John the Baptist. His cousin, his friend, the one who went ahead of him. Matthew makes the point, suggesting that Jesus goes off to the solitary place because he's grieving. And yet, in his own grief, Surrounded by tired disciples, when he sees the crowds, Jesus is moved by compassion. Jesus is the kindest, most loving, generous person you could ever meet. He loves the people of this world, he loves our nation, and he loves us. And he wants us to connect with him with that compassion. It isn't something that we can sort of Stir up in ourselves. I'm talking about a connection with Jesus, an empowering of the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to uh, see one of my chaplains up in Sunderland. <clears throat> Spent some time with him. And uh, the next day, I visited a, a nun with him in a convent up there. I've never seen someone out of whom the love of Jesus pours more than this lady. She spent her whole time Praying or out on the streets, helping the homeless, feeding the poor. We came away from there and he said to me, it's humbling, isn't it? And I said, it's humbling and it's challenging. He said, you know what? We gave this this convent a, a washing machine. We thought they'd be really blessed with that. We went back the following week. They'd unplumbed it and given it away to another family that needed it more than them. That's the compassion of Jesus, relationship with him that empowers us, anoints us even by the Holy Spirit to go out with those actions. Some of us recently were able to watch uh, Spring Harvest, that, that Christian conference that goes on every year because of lockdown. We could all watch it on video. And one of the preachers, uh, Gavin Calver, spoke about these three things. He talked about 
the words. He talked about the works and he talked about the wonders. You know what? We've got all three of those here in this passage. Jesus's words. They were sheep without a shepherd. He taught them. We've got the works. They were hungry. They needed feeding. And we've got the wonder. It was a miracle that was needed to make that happen. I suggest as his disciples, as we move into this next stage, and who knows what that means. We need to be people of God's word, but also the works and the wonders. It needs to be all three. We need out of that gut compassion to go and do the works that Jesus calls us into. We need to step out as he speaks to us. And there might be some fear in that, but as he speaks to us and tells us to do things, he wants us to step out because it's as we step out and take that action. It's as we give metaphorically that bread or that fish, the miracle's going to happen. We need words. We need works. And I believe we need wonders in these days that God wants to do through us. I said there were three points, theological point, discipleship point. Finally, there's a pastoral point. The people here were like sheep without a shepherd. Can't help but read that and think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Jesus, the great shepherd, who wants to meet the needs of the people here, in this passage, but our needs as well. In verse 42, it says this. They all ate and were satisfied. Every one of them. Now, there's 5,000 there that we're told. 5,000 5, men is what it actually says. And in some of the other accounts, it says plus women and children. Well, we know women followed Jesus around. They were there at the tomb. We know children were there as well following Jesus around because there's a time when he says to the disciples, don't stop the children from coming to me, that they can come as well. So we can't give an exact number here, but it's exactly more than 5,000, isn't it? Could be 10, could be 15,000, who knows? I like to think of it in terms of, I like to try and visualise this. Uh, Charlton Athletic as a stadium has 27,000 plus when it's at capacity. This is more than half of... Charlton's football stadium, more than half the valley full. That's the number of people all sitting there. And there must have been a motley crew as well, don't you think? I mean, Jesus didn't know them all individually, but he feeds all of them. It's not as if he, he, he says to one of them, well, you know, you've not really followed me properly, so sorry, you know, no food for you. Or, yeah, but you were really good. You always obeyed the law, and, and, and so you're going to get some food. No. He feeds them all. They all ate and were satisfied. So much so that there were 12 basketfuls left at the end. There was more left at the end than they started with. Enough suggest for the disciples to take away and to be fed on it in the coming days. Jesus doesn't promise to supply all of our wants, all of our desires. But he does promise to supply all of our needs. It's there in Psalm 23. It's there in this passage. I want to invite you to 
metaphorically sit on the green grass as if you were back there 2,000 years ago? What are your needs today? Your vulnerabilities? I'm going to be honest. I felt incredibly vulnerable at the start of this whole process. Just before lockdown happened, we were in isolation for a couple of weeks because we may have been in contact with someone with COVID. So we had to isolate. We couldn't go out. We were fine and and we didn't show any symptoms. But every Thursday we'd go out and we'd clap the NHS, the frontline workers. Became a bit of a joke with the kids over the last few weeks because every time we do it, they come back in and they say, Dad, you crying again? Because those first couple of weeks, I was really moved. My eyes were filling. One, because I think it was fantastic that we were acknowledging what, what everybody was doing in the NHS. But two, if I'm honest, it was my only opportunity to see people outside. There's other people out there. And it was moving me. I needed that. That was my vulnerability. That's who I am as a person. I'm so grateful for those who prayed for me through that time. I'm so grateful that Jesus met with me by spirit in that time and brought me through it. But I was vulnerable. And I know as we sit here today, on the green grass, as we wait for the next announcement from the government and what those restrictions might be, we come with our own vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. Maybe you're concerned about your job. You've been furloughed, but how long is that going to last for? Maybe you're, you're in a house on your own and, and you've been in that house on your own for ages and, and you just feel so isolated and lonely. Maybe you're in a group in a house and it's a family of five or six and goodness me, it's just hectic and everybody's on top of each other and, and uh, whose turn is it is for, for, for the laptop because, you know, I Zoom and you Zoom and... Maybe literally, actually, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Jesus promises to meet our needs. He has a gut reaction for you and he wants to come and meet with you right now. And so I'm going to pause just for a few seconds to give us an opportunity to come to that compassionate Jesus to meet with him. Whether you want to meet with him as if it's at the cross, that reference towards the start. Perhaps for the first time, you're beginning to realise who Jesus really is. Whether you want to meet meet with him and and be filled with compassion, ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill you with compassion, that gut reaction for others, and that you might have the courage to step out in faith, whatever that means in the future. But maybe you just want to part both of those and say, you know what? I really need you at the moment, Jesus. Come and satisfy my needs, whatever they may be. I'm going to pause for a few seconds and I'm just going to pray very shortly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the compassion of Jesus, demonstrated with the feeding of the 5,000, 
but demonstrated to us today. Wherever we are at on this day in 2020, we pray that you will connect us with Jesus, that our lives may be transformed and changed, that we may be comforted by him right now, the most compassionate person who has ever lived and still is present today by your spirit. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.